on here. We're in Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54 this morning. And in a moment after our scripture reading and prayer, I want us to um, remember Bruce and Patty as uh, their daughter and grandson and and son-in-law. They're headed to England. And uh, it's a long way away. And I could tell in Jim's voice just the thought of missing them and not being able to see them. So we want to remember them on this resurrection day too as they struggle to Bruce and Patty to help them move to England. It's a long way away. All right, Matthew twenty-seven fifty through 54. If when you find that, if you'll stand in God's honor along with me as I read the text. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, He gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. This day we come and we worship. It changed from Saturday to Sunday because this is the day the grave was empty and the Lord was living. And we worship you, the living God, this morning. And Father, I do pray for Bruce and Patty and that family. Father, just just give them up one of those divine hugs, Lord. Those holy hugs. A good squeeze to remind them of your presence and protection. And Father, thank you for the hope that you provide. And Father, as, as we worship today, I think of all those brothers and sisters in Second Baptist Houston, Father, as they sang, Father, of your resurrection. And I love the end of that video, too, where they all leave their shoes. Which just reminds us, Lord, that we are headed to you. That you are alive, you are resurrected, and we too shall be. For as you are, we shall be, Lord. Thank you for that promise. Father, I pray that you speak through my weakness. May you be declared. Holy Spirit, we give you room to speak to our hearts because we always need to hear from you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus was not known for preaching funerals. Do you know why? Because when he got around a dead person, he raised them back to life. (laughs) It's wonderful in the scriptures you read about this widow who is crying over the death of her son. Jesus comes in his compassion and the little boy is alive. Then there's Jairus. And his daughter has died and, and, and he's struggling. And he comes to Jesus. Once again, there's no time for a funeral because she's alive. And then, of course, we're familiar with Lazarus. Those old grave clothes. Three days in the grave. It wasn't enough to hold him. Once Jesus called out his name, he came forth from the grave. 
hey, the truth of the matter is Jesus has conquered death. And I just mentioned several bodies of evidence. And this morning in our text, I want to focus on many bodies of evidence. Maybe you haven't heard a message on this text before, but what a powerful body of evidence. (laughs) These people who come forth from the graves. Let's look at the text again. We're told that when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, He gave up His Spirit. Now, prior to this, we learn in the Gospel according to Luke that it had been dark for three hours. And and I was trying to study this. I was trying to think in my mind, well, when did the light come on? When, when, when did the sun shine again and the darkness was removed by the sun? When did that occur? And Well, it, it occurred to me as I looked at this scripture, it, verse 45, it says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour... Jesus cried out in a loud voice. So at the ninth hour of the darkness covered the earth, it's about the time Jesus said, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. So I don't know for sure, but just my speculation, and holy imagination, well, I won't say holy, but my imagination of what occurred, is that at that moment where Jesus said, I give up my spirit, suddenly the darkness was removed and there was light. And I believe that centurion, when he turned and he looked and he felt that earthquake, he could see because the darkness wasn't there. And what did he look for? Jesus. What did he think? Darkness was a sign of judgment. He must have thought, boy, it's all over for me and all of us. But when he looked, Jesus was still on the cross. But there was an earthquake. And those old rock rock tombs, those graves, they cracked open. And notice what it says in the Scripture. So powerful. It tells us that bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life and they came out of the tombs. (laughs) And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many people. At that moment, when Jesus gave up his spirit, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. What was the significance of this curtain? This curtain divided the holy place from the holy of holies. It was 60 feet high, and it was the thickness over the, about the size of the palm of a hand. And it said it tore from top to bottom. No man was tall enough to reach up 60 feet to start a rip and tear the curtain. The tear came from above, from God Himself who tore that curtain from top to bottom. The priests were going about doing their holy stuff, working with the showbread, working with the calabras, working with the different instruments of carrying out the practices of priestly duties. But at that moment, when... The veil tore in two. It was significant. It was a time where God would show forth that no longer was access to God going to be just between one priest and him, but between all those who place their faith in the last, final, complete Lamb of God who gave His life. 
You see, it was the last sacrifice. Once a year, that priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would have his blood sacrificed and sprinkle the blood. But it was at Calvary, as the Lord blood poured on the cross, that that final sacrifice, the Lamb of God, was made as the curtain was torn in two and as access before God was made complete. No more sacrifices, no more separation, no more fear. <laughs> Access to God was made complete through the work of Jesus Christ. It said, according to the historians, that what did the priest do after the veil was torn in two? Well, the chief priest said, go sew that thing up so we can continue our duties. So they tried to sew it up, but the veil didn't match. It wasn't complete. And it says in the book of Acts that there were a number of priests, many priests, who came to faith in Jesus Christ. I believe they looked around and they thought, wait a minute, this thing ripped from the top to the bottom. How did that happen? Why did it rip? And it occurred to them there's a new way to come to God, a new way to find hope and forgiveness. We're told about this earthquake that split rocks into pieces Remember when Elijah was in the cave, he was praying. It says in 1 Kings 19, 11, a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. In the 18th Psalm and the 77th Psalm, David wrote music, singing of the earth shaking and trembling when the Lord became angry because of the sins of man. Jeremiah spoke about the righteous anger of God and that God was revealed by thunder and earthquakes in His holiness, that God the Father was actually giving a foretaste of what He would do one day, how He would shake this earth in judgment at the King of Kings that's described in that final book in our Scriptures, the book of Revelation. But there would be a stunning display of the greatest body of evidence in all of history three days later in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what happened here in these bodies of evidence, these saints that were raised according to our section of Scripture? It says the earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people, holy ones, who had died were raised to life, And they had a mission. <laughs> they came out of those tombs, and after the resurrection of Jesus, they went into the holy city, and they appeared to many people. In Daniel 7, 18, the verse says, The saints, the holy ones, will receive the kingdom and possess God's kingdom forever. So these were the saints. These were the holy ones. Which ones? Well, I don't know. It doesn't give us a list of names. We just know that they were raised. They had been in graves. We don't know how long they had been dead. Maybe it was years. Maybe it was centuries. Maybe it was a month or a week or a couple of days. We just know they had been placed in the ground. But suddenly, <laughs> the graves cracked open and they were alive. And they went on their mission. Can you imagine a mother and a father who just a few months earlier 
lost their precious child. And they had wept for days and they had missed him. Suddenly there's a knock on the door. They open the door. There stands their son. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. I'm here to tell you that the crucified carpenter, Jesus Christ, is really the Son of God. And I'm alive because He's alive. And I'm here to tell you He is alive. Make sure you place your faith in Him because He is the living Lord. And He wants me to make that known. (laughs) And He wants you to make that known, to tell the world there is life in Jesus and my son's evidence of it. Sixteen times in the scriptures, there are appearances of our resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, just run through these real quick. There's Mary Magdalene. As she remained by the tomb. and The Lord commanded her to go and tell the disciples that he's risen. There's the other women who also returned from the tomb. There's Peter in the afternoon on the Sunday of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as he beheld our Lord alive. There's the two disciples who were walking toward Emmaus and they beheld our Lord. There's the ten disciples while Thomas in unbelief was absent. Jesus appeared. And then the eleven disciples one week after his resurrection with Thomas present. Thomas delivered that wonderful statement, My Lord and my God. And then there were seven of his disciples on the seashore where he reinstated Peter to the ministry. And then we're told in the book of 1 Corinthians that 500 people saw our risen, resurrected Lord. James, his own half-brother, the son of Mary and Joseph, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, beheld our Lord resurrected, risen from the grave. Then there's the eleven disciples on the mountain in Galilee where he gave them the command, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that great commandment, that great command. Twelve, at Stephen's death, as Stephen was being stoned to death, he saw the risen Lord. Paul, on his way to Damascus, as he was brought into the faith, as the Lord appeared to him. And then once again, Paul saw him in Arabia. And then Paul saw him in the temple in Acts 22. And once again, Paul appeared to him while he was in prison in Caesarea. It's no wonder that the resurrection's appearances of our Lord Jesus Christ has been referred to as the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence for the Christian faith. What wonderful, undeniable, indisputable bodies of evidence we have for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder what it must have been like for some of those relatives of some of those great old saints who may have appeared. Imagine what it might have been like if Moses was able to trace his family and make his introductions to his great, 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 great grandsons, granddaughters. And those wonderful reunions that were filled with joy. Now, who who were these heroes of the faith? Once again, I'm just going to speculate because there's no names that are mentioned. But maybe here are a few possibilities. Maybe one of these witnesses was Abraham. Can you imagine Abraham as he is walking around declaring that Jesus is the risen Lord, that He is the Christ? 
He says, it reminds me when I climbed up a mountain, Mount Moriah, and I had my son Isaac. And God had said, it is time to make a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. And I was ready to thrust that knife into my son. My son, my precious son. And then at the last moment, the angel of the Lord stopped me. He said, I have provided a lamb. He said, God has come and He has provided the Lamb of God. The perfect, ultimate sacrifice. And I'm here to tell you about Him. Jesus. Or, or maybe Joseph would have been an excellent witness. Maybe he could have spoken about the famine that went through the land. How there was certain death for God's people, the Hebrews. But God, through amazing circumstances, put him in a position of power. And He rescued God's Rescued his people and saved them from certain death. Or Boaz. Boaz could have said, I rescued my bride and saved her for myself. I was but an illustration of the great kinsman redeemer who has now come to gather his own bride. The bride of Christ. The church. Or David. (laughs) You imagine David as he returned to Jerusalem as he is witnessing of the risen Lord. As he's saying... This is the one that I sang about. God gave me these songs of worship. And they were pointed toward the Messiah. And this Messiah is Jesus Christ. He's going to bring in the new kingdom, the new Jerusalem. He is the risen one. Or Nehemiah, who said, God sent me to resurrect the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. But now the true cornerstone of the city is here. His name is Jesus, and He is alive. Or what about Isaiah? Isaiah, who could have proclaimed that Jesus is indeed the suffering Savior. He is a man of sorrows, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Follow Him. He's the Prince of Peace. Or John the Baptist. He could have simply said, well, if you'd been listening earlier, you'd have heard me say, I told you so. I came to prepare a way for Him. And He's alive. He's come to take away the sins of the world. Another testimony could have been a couple. You know, it doesn't have to just be one person. It could be a married couple. What about a married couple, uh, say, Adam and Eve? What testimony they could have given. God put us in a perfect garden to worship Him with perfect fellowship with Him day after day. But it was because of of my sin, because of Eve's sin, that that all changed. It was our rebellion that brought suffering and death and the toil of work and the corruption of human hearts and the pain of childbirth. It all started because of our rebellion. But because of His resurrection, we're all forgiven. (laughs) The second Adam, He's come. There is forgiveness. And we're here to tell you why He came. He was bruised on the cross, crushed for the power of sin and death, and alive. Your hope. So the verdict, not only are these witnesses, I, like I said, I don't have any specific names. This is just some speculation. <laughs> but my prayer is there's another witness that's here today, and that's you. That's you. Because the Bible says 
that at the moment you recognize Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of all, and the moment you recognize that you're a sinner and that you need to be forgiven, that when you place your confidence and your trust in Him as the risen Lord, at that moment, you become His witness because you become a raised body of resurrection, a body of evidence yourself. And, and so, as I come to the end of this message, the issue is, are you a witness of Christ? Are you able to proclaim, I live because He lives? I can sing about tomorrow because He's my Lord today. You see, the question is not, do I have eternal life? Bible tells us clearly that we all have eternal life. The issue is where will we spend that eternal life? Because of the rebellion of our hearts, because of sin, it says that we are separated forever from God. Of the home in heaven, He's prepared for us. And there's only one way for that to be resolved. And that's what Calvary's about. And that's fulfilled and made complete in evidence by the very resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the heartbeat today is that no one will leave here missing Jesus. Missing that resurrection of hope that not only He provides through His own death and resurrection, but that He has made possible for us to be resurrected again as well. And when we pass through that portal called death, our eternity will be spent with Him and not apart from Him where the Scripture says none of us want to be. And so my charge to you, my invitation to you is uh, may we not miss the resurrected Lord this day. Check your heart. Do you belong to Him? Are you a witness of Him? Is the living one living in you? That is the question. And if the answer is no, there's no better time than now for that to change. Let's pray. For the body of evidence of these saints that went and proclaimed that Jesus is alive and that He is the Lamb of God and He paid for the sins of the world and that He's the hope of all. And thank you, Father, that you are alive, that Jesus lives, and that in him we live. And I just pray, Father, that you would speak to us, and Father, that we would respond as you speak to whatever you call us to. Some may need to trust you for the very first time to receive salvation and forgiveness placed upon this resurrected Lord. Others of us, Father, we, we're just not living in the resurrection power. We're settling for uh, battery power. Duracell power is nothing compared to divine, dynamic resurrection power. And Father, I just pray you wake us up to live in your power, Lord. Father, we just want you to reign in our hearts, Father. We know one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Father, my heart's desire is that now, this day, we will willingly bow before you and confess you as Lord. 
Father, as we stand, as we sing, may we obey you as you call us. In Christ's name we pray.